Everyone is gender fluid these days. Absolutely. Um, and you two will be having a conversation. So yes. it's a slight change of format, but um, we're going to enjoy it nonetheless. OK. Thank you. Great. So together with Roger, who was just on stage, the three of us will be having a panel um, this afternoon uh, called Demystifying China's Impact on Tech and Society. So this is a conversation that I hope will whet people's appetite, <laughs> convince you to go to our uh, discussion. Um, Olinga Taid is director of the nonprofit Center for Citizenship, Enterprise, and Governance. Uh, this year, he was asked by the Chinese government, the Ministry of Commerce, to join the China e-commerce blockchain committee. Wow, that's a mouthful. So I think, you know, the panel, we're going to talk about China and stuff like that during the panel, but I kind of want to talk about you. I mean, first of all, like, how did you get involved in this committee and what is it? Okay, so... Let's roll back slightly. Um, so I was a, a normal guy in the corporate sector, doing okay. And about uh, 11 years ago, I have a daughter who had a couple of breakdowns. And she hears voices 24-7. So I sold my companies on NASDAQ and on Stock Exchange and Sky Channels and blah, 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 mobile phone companies. And I decided to dedicate my life to not only her, but to the agenda of non-financial value, because I had accumulated financial value. But I cared about now, you know, it didn't, financial value didn't stop her having her breakdowns. And I set up the center that you mentioned, and what we look at, which is uh, uh, gonna answer your question, what we look at is the measurement of non-financial value, the uh, transaction of it using blockchain, and the delivery. And the thing about value is in the West, we're used to looking at value like money has value, and uh, land and gold and diamonds has value. But actually, we, so does love have value, and hope, and kindness, and generosity. So our focus has been on that. And I guess uh, uh, taking on the lead from the previous speaker, right. China is more aligned to uh, not only looking at financial value, of course, but actually looking at all these other issues in society, mainly because the population is so large. So they look at the corpus of society and the value of society and the values of society. And they, Chinese government, um, I think approached me last, last October. Uh, I've been doing quite a lot of work in China previously. Yeah, I was going to ask, how, how do they find you, though? There, there are a lot, I mean, blockchain, it's a bit like the Wild West right now, right? I mean, I meet so many people who say that they're blockchain experts, and I'm just curious how they picked you. Sure, okay. So there is, if you imagine blockchain, 95% of stuff in blockchain and cryptocurrency are scams, and around 20% of money raised through ICOs have been hacked. So it is a wild west, as you rightly say. There are very few institutional type players in the sector. And we are one of the very few, where we run academic peer-reviewed journals. We have a membership of now 162,000, I believe. So, so they were looking for some organizations with credibility across the world in the sector. Um, and I guess someone who is aligned to their values. Right. Okay, which of non-financial value. 
I mean, I would just say that, though, I mean, China doesn't have a monopoly on, on values. I mean, governments and societies in different countries all care about love and health and the environment. Um, so what made it different that you're willing to work for China, which is sure. an authoritarian state, as Roger was talking about? It's okay. not a democracy. Okay, so, so we're going to balance uh, what you've just said. So um, I would disagree with you that if you look at America, you know America, if you're Mexican, if you're a woman or uh, black, um, being all those is great if you have money. If you have no money, money is the metric of the American life. It is the way we value uh, uh, everything we do through money. And that pretty well goes right across the world. In China, money is not the single most important thing which, which we value society. And, you know, the, is this the, something that you like found, or is this your no, because you I, traveled there a lot, and that was your sense? Well, you know, I, I traveled around sixty odd, more than sixty odd countries, and I've lived in all these places. So I guess it's a conclusion I came to that actually, you know, I, I'll give you an example. Um, there is in uh, you know, there's these SDG goals, and in China they're going to eradicate the one last one percent of poverty, the last one percent of poverty in the society. Now, in every other part of the world, you talk about SDG 2030, you talk about committees, 30-year tasks. They've said by the year 2020. That's a big achievement to try and go for. So these guys are in a hurry. And they have, and they have some resources to get that. And of course, eggs are broken, and, and things are missed, and uh, it's not perfect. But at least, you know, even when we talk about the social credit system, which to us in the West, you know, you go, oh my God, what a disastrous uh, controlling thing to do. The fact is, it is a system to credit good actors in society, not credit someone who has money. All right? So I guess I differ in your, uh, with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I just can't help but think that, you know, money, paper money was actually invented in China. So to tell me that, you know, this is a society that does not care about money as much. No, it cares or, about You know, money. is... is, is more balance is all You know, like, say. go to the Grand Hyatt in Beijing and have a look at the disparity in income sure. inequality that is actually worse than in the United States. Um, but let's go back to looking at uh, blockchain and this committee. What is it that they're asking you to do, and uh, what do they want to know more about? Okay, so uh, there's three parts to it. There is uh, surprisingly, there is compliance, of course, like all governments, compliance. And if you compare it to the SEC, which does the same kind of function in America, um, but there's also the growth of the market. So in China, uh, as you mentioned, about 70% of blockchain and cryptocurrency is in China. It dominates the sector. And so our responsibility is also to grow the sector. You mean the sales and trade of it? It, it means the... that all the money that goes through the sector, all right? Okay. All okay. the, everything, like number of patents. There's more patents in, Amer in China than all the other countries put together. So it's not just money. Okay. So, um, so it's about compliance, of course, but it's about growth of the market and development of the market. And if you compare that again to the SEC, who consider any kind of token is a financial token. And any kind of token has got to be shut down or be brought in under the financial uh, uh, mainstreaming of the SEC. That's not the case in our 
uh, committee responsibility in China, where we have a much broader uh, view of it. And the, the, the figure of $102 trillion or 103 is not current value blockchain, but it's, around, it's what is perceived to be the new future. And blockchain is 10 times bigger than the internet as a market. So they dominate the market right now, and they're looking to shift the emphasis and, and uh, power, if you like, from the West Coast, which is dominated by uh, Facebook and Google and internet power, across to China, where they think blockchain will be the new, uh, uh, for the next 20 years at least. So has your committee issued a policy recommendation? I know it's early days. You guys were just set up. And what's, the, what's an actionable thing you guys have done? Okay. An example, so it gives people, people a better idea. It's a huge topic, clearly. It is. So before, uh, before our committee was formed, uh, let me tell you the only rule that came out, which was in 2017, uh, was that anyone working in cryptocurrency, for example, was death or life imprisonment, which feeds very well into the authoritarian state, all right? which is fairly, uh, fairly uh, hefty. Um, however, if I give you now, uh, we have around 650 projects which have been proved in blockchain in, the U in, in China. At our next board meeting in October, we've been told that the president of China will be at the board meeting because they consider through BRI, the One Belt, One Road initiative, mm. that blockchain, AI, IoT, and other, everything's put in other, actually represents four major instruments for, which, for them to develop their society. And so, uh, you know, it's, uh, I can tell you a list of, well, I can't tell you, uh, I'm not allowed to tell you all the list of programs, but I can tell you the kind of things, like fifth generation payment systems, okay. like Alipay, mm -hmm. but more blockchain-esque. Smart cities. You know, my colleague who's sitting in the audience uh, was sitting, we, we first met this committee uh, uh, people in Bangkok in November 2018, and they, at the United Nations, the Chinese brought in 300 delegations, and they kind of interviewed me and all that. Mm. And uh, they, she was sitting with Benson Tam, who's the number one investor of Alibaba. He made a trillion dollars in that investment. And he got up, you know, uh, next to her and said, we will now develop uh, uh, smart cities, and it will be another trillion dollars for me. Because, and not because we, we like to develop it, it's because we have to develop it. So the movement of China is because they have to develop systems that deal with large populations, move their values and value of, of uh, their population. And, and you can only do that right now through technology. And you know, it's interesting that your discussion, your mention of the word systems is very, um, you know, it, it follows Roger's yeah, it does. discussion about how the, the leadership looks at its population as, as sort of a machine, you know, you, yeah. you have to engineer it. I guess as a reporter who was based there for five years and traveled everywhere and filed hundreds of reports, um, from the ground up, I mean, at the end of the day though, people aren't machines. Right. Um, so. So what are some of the vulnerabilities that you see with this kind of approach? Yeah, I, I, I think your perception is very accurate. Um, so it's the, you know, he, he mentioned, I'm an engineer, like, uh, like uh, the previous guy said, you know, engineering is kind of revered a little bit. Um, I think it's the way the Chinese look at data and mm. personal data. You know, here in Europe, we think personal data my way, my data my way. I, it's my data, I'll use it as I want, and then we have this GDPR, which, to be frank, I think has failed because you know, all you do is spend 35 clicks a day on average going, I accept, accept, accept. You don't read those terms and conditions. In America, data doesn't belong to the people, it belongs to the company. 
I give you this service for free, Gmail for free, WhatsApp for free, I give you this thing for free, I own your data, I can use it to sell stuff to you. That's how it works. In China, they believe data belongs to the government. Mm -hmm. They believe that their job is for the corpus of society. You may not agree with the direction they want it to go, but they believe their job is to look after the society. So they will do erroneous things as well, to our understanding. Like, if you go to China now, what's changed, of course, is you have to do your, do your fingerprints to get your visa, even, and your facial recognition before you go. And I mean, they're collecting DNA data of, Absolutely. of, of Uyghurs in, in Xinjiang. In the you know, far west of Xinjiang, there's, you know, there's been plenty of news um, of about a million people, by the UN estimates, held in detention. And some of these Correct. people have to hand over DNA samples yep. against their will. So uh, definitely, a lot of eggs are broken, and it's very unfortunate. If you're part of those eggs, then it, you know it's a very personal issue. But I, I, I always relate a kind of anecdote of what's happened a few months ago, which is well reported. Uh, a lady was crossing Shanghai. I'm sure you know this. Jaywalking, her face was recognized. Up it went on the billboard. She went, "What? Well, I wasn't even in Shanghai." You know what? Hmm. And the Chinese government. Oh, yeah, software, sorry, it'll improve. If that was in America, you'd have three lawsuits before 5 o'clock, wouldn't you? For your rights have been, have been taken over, and you've uh, taken my name, and you've rubbished it, et cetera. In China, they go, look, you know, we cannot protect all of society, frankly, and, in, and respect every individual right. We will respect the corpus of it, and there are going to be broken areas at the edges. And so it's not perfect. And which society is right now perfect? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I'm, I'm trying to push back because I think it'll make the conversation more no, interesting, good. frankly. Do it, do it, do it. But you know, eggs broken right now, it's doing good. But when you have a government that's constantly thinking of the collective over the individual, you also have a government that, over the course of its seven decades of leadership, have caused things like the Cultural Revolution and the Great Leap Forward, where 30 million people died because of a top-down sort of approach. So right now, things are great. You can order that Luckin coffee and stuff like that. But I just wonder, you know, the way the system is set up, um, and the way they're using blockchain is, is great for now, and there's obviously scams and corruption that they want to tackle. Sure. Uh, but what is the, the stop, the break stop, that can sort of prevent major disaster, policies disasters from happening when you have this? And, and you know, you're advising them on, sure. on trying to facilitate this. Sure. Um, and that is your responsibility as a journalist. And of course, you know, I, I said to you, you know, uh, and I understand that because I was being a journalist with CNN and running big, big mm -hmm. chunks of 180 journalists before that. So, so I understand, you know, uh, where you're coming from, and, and you know, I know the Chinese government. You've been very open and honest. Expelled you, you know, uh, a few years ago from China. So I understand why your view will be negative. No, that's not the reason that no. colors my view. The fact that I was expelled does not color my view. But the, 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 I guess the. The uh, issue is it's an alternative way of running society. I don't think anyone believes it's a perfect way. Mm. Ironically, you know, blockchain is considered, there are four kind of actors in blockchain. There is the uh, speculator of currency. There's a, there is the do it, do it faster and better. There is the blockchain, the religion, because people believe, you know, bankers will be hanging off nooses one day. You know, and then there's the fourth industrial revolution. They believe this is part of something new. So like the internet, they are using it because they need to move whole parts of large parts of society, both value and values. Mm. 
And absolutely, you know, I'm not being derisory by saying, oh, eggs are broken, tough, all right? I'm just saying to you, you know, that actually I admire that they want to, they want to reward good actors in society, which is not something I find in other parts around the world. That's all. And on that note, I hope you guys will join us at 3 p.m. Uh, for more on this conversation, if you find it interesting. Thank you very much. Thank you.